You're listening to The Gutsy Podcast, where we talk about all things real, raw, and ridiculous about running a business authentically. Whether you need an inspirational pick-me-up or a swift kick in the mental ass, The Gutsy Podcast is your bi-weekly guide to getting out of your head and back into action. I'm Laura Ora, branding and mindset coach for female entrepreneurs, CEO of Works & Co., and your host on this journey through entrepreneurship. It's time to fuel your gutsy. You have a hobby that you're passionate about and dream about taking it full time, but where do you even begin? Is this a feasible lifestyle or a wild daydream? Today, we're going to talk about taking your passion from a hobby to your career. And to do that, I have best-selling author Soraya Wilson. A passionate believer in happily ever afters, Soraya and her soulmate live in Utah with their four children and the two family cats. Her belief in true love has inspired several best-selling romance series, including End of the Line, Lovestruck, Ugly Stepsisters, Royals of Montera, and many standalone novels. She has repeatedly hit Amazon's overall top 100, both in and outside of the USA, and has been a number one bestseller on Amazon category list multiple times. Her books have been featured in USA Today, Glamour, and Glamour UK. I think she is living proof that you can live out your passion. Soraya, welcome to the Gutsy Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit of the backstory. What led you up to where you are today? Um, The backstory I tell people is I, my oldest son, who's 21 now, when he was three years old, he was diagnosed with autism and they had these treatments that at the time insurance didn't cover. And, you know, here we are, this newlywed couple, I was pregnant and they're like, this is going to be $10,000. And I mean, it might as well have been 10 million. Like there was no way for us to come up with that money. And so I was kind of thinking and praying and wondering, what do I do? And I felt inspired to write a novel. And I thought that was really dumb. Like I am not someone who grew up (laughs) hoping to be a writer. Like I've always loved reading. I've always been good at writing. I just, it wasn't my career. And, um, I kind of pushed it aside. And then one of the things we did for him was we, we did some fundraisers to help raise money. Cause this is all before GoFundMe and everything else, you know, nothing like that existed. And, um, so I contacted the local papers and I said, you know, I'm doing this fundraiser and gave him a press release and a reporter called me and came to the house. And when she came in, she goes, I was first thing I have to ask you, are you a writer? And I was like, why would you ask me that? That's a really weird question. She goes, well, your press release was just written so well, I assumed that you were a writer. And I was like, all right, universe, I got the message, you know, <laughs> I'm going to write a novel. So I started out writing for a very small niche publisher that's here in Utah. And it was an interesting experience. <laughs> Didn't make a whole lot of money. And then I had two more children that was completely unexpected because uh, I was from secondary infertility. So they took up all my time and creativity. And then by the time I kind of got back to, I want to write again kind of the indie movement had happened in publishing. And I don't know how familiar you are with that, but you know, all the power was in the hands of the publishers and they got to gatekeep and who got in and who got to be published. And suddenly now places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble are saying, Hey, you put out your own book, you hire your own editor, you hire your own cover artist, you get to keep all the money. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like for two weeks, it was all I talked about. I was so excited. So I published an indie book and it <laughs> languished in obscurity because you know, there's tens of millions of books on Amazon. How do you get found? And I wrote another book. And then what happened was uh, there was a program that Amazon ran called Kindle Scout. Because I decided I need to be in business with Amazon. Like, who better? Like, they are the biggest bookseller in the country. Who else would you want to be in business with? So I thought, that's my goal. 
And that was a goal I set for myself. But I didn't have an agent. You know, I, I didn't, I don't know. It was an impossible goal. But they announced this program called Kindle Scout. And it's kind of like American Idol, but for books. So you can put up your cover, the first chapter, readers can come in and they say, oh, I think this book is good. You should take a look at this book. And even if you get a lot of nominations, it doesn't mean you're going to win. But I heard about this contest and I belonged to a group of indie authors and everybody else was going, this is such garbage. Like, why would you give them control of your book? And I'm like, you can work with Amazon. Am I, am I, it's like, are you the only sane person in Wonderland? That's what it felt like, you know, that everybody (laughs) else was dismissing it. And I'm like, do you not see the potential? Do you not see how amazing this could be? And I got drowned out very quickly. I ended up leaving that group, but I went ahead and entered and I was one of the first winners of that. Um, There were 10 winners the very first round and I was one of those people. And so the woman who ran the competition contacted me and said, why did you enter? And I said, well, I really want to be in business with Amazon and specifically their romance house, which is called Montlake. That's my dream. And she's like, okay, cool. So like a week later, I get a phone call from the woman that I now know is the lead editor at Montlake. At the time, I did not know that. She's the boss. And she called me and, and I thought this was just a get your foot in the door. Nice to meet you. But I thought this is a networking opportunity and I'm going to take advantage of it. You know, I'm going to make this connection. And at the end of the phone conversation, she goes, well, we're going to offer you a two book contract. And I was in total shock. And if anyone who's in publishing is listening to this, they're going to go, that's made up. Like that didn't happen because it doesn't happen. It's not real life. You know, that's not how publishing happens. And she did. She gave me a two-book contract. I published like eight books with them before I got an agent. And that's kind of led me to where I am now. Wow. That's my whole life story for you. I, I love it. I love how you just like went right for like the beast. You're like, you know what? Yeah. Screw all this other stuff. We're going right for Amazon. That's where everyone's buying books anyway. Yep. So let me, let me just find my way up there. I think it's really interesting that you were part of a group that was kind of naysayers. And you were yeah. like, you were like mm, no, we're not, we're not doing that. So tell me a little bit about like the essence and the feeling of, you know, because I think a lot of people are surrounded by pessimist or people right. that are like, oh, that's cute. You know, good luck with that. <laughs> what yeah. were some you things that, yeah, oh, you wrote a book. How, how lovely. How are, yeah. how are you going to pay your bills? Right. What were some things that went through your head when you were, you know, just kind of managing other people's opinions of what you were doing? Well, I think I'm fortunate in that I have a husband who's extremely supportive and has been from day one. And I have met people whose spouses are not supportive following their dreams. And I think that's very sad. I think this should be the one person who is your number one cheerleader, your partner in your life. So I had that to begin with, but I'm just the kind of person that someone tells me I can't do it. I'm going to show you that I can. Like I'll, I'll, I'll do it 10 times more. Like when I was first publishing with that small niche publisher, there was a man from church who told me, well, that's real cute and all, but I'm going to be a published author and I'm going to be more famous than you. And I just thought, who even says this kind of thing? Like how <laughs> like, stupid like, is that? Also why? Not like, the same. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I didn't get it. He did recently actually finally put out a book. I mean, that was, he told me that 15 years ago and he just now put it out, but it's a business book, whatever. And I'm like, yes, you're more famous than me. You're doing better than I am. Um, So I had a little moment of pettiness there where I enjoyed that. But I think (laughs) by and large, for the most part that, um, I don't know, I just don't care. Like, like I said, if someone tells me you can't do it, yes, I can. Why not me? Everybody says, oh, it's not going to be you. Well, why not? Like I accomplished something that nobody else has accomplished and never will because Kindle Scout is a defunct program and no longer exists. So people can't get to that back door the same way that I did. But I thought I wanted something and I went for it and I got it. Well, and there's, I don't think that there's hardly anything that's more satisfying than, than just that. You have this vision, you take this leap of faith, you're using your gutsy, you know, you're going after something that has no promises 
And man, when you push through it and you dedicate your, your time, your love and your effort towards it, and then it happens, holy, holy hell, that feeling is like on top of the world. It's amazing. And, you know, and that doesn't mean I haven't had failures and step backs and mistakes. I have, you know, this hasn't just been smooth sailing the whole time. There's been lots of things that have been rough and hard on the road, but I think you just have to go for it. And if people are telling you no, my thing is to say, why not me? And the other thing I would advise people, and I I tell my kids this all the time, is ask for stuff. If there's something you want, ask for it. Because like the worst thing the person can say is no, you know, but what if it works out for you? What if you get something amazing because of it? That happens to me all the time. I'll give you an example. So there's a TV show called Jane the Virgin. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have not. So the the actor that starts the show, one of the actors, his name is Justin Baldoni. He is this fabulous human being. Great actor. He has his own production company now and he's doing some great movies. He and I had an interaction on Twitter that was a basis for one of my books that I wrote called Starstruck. And so I tweeted him like, hey, you know, this thing where you talked to me, I was very excited that you responded to my tweet and I put it in the book. And from there, we just became friendly. And I said, you know what I would love is I would love to send you a copy of this novel and you take a picture reading it. He goes, oh, that'd be great. Contact my assistant. So I contact his assistant and kind of keep in touch with the assistant. And then I won an auction to go see, uh, go on the the set of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, be on the set for the day. And it was on the same time as Jane the Virgin on the CW. And for some reason, I guess in my head, I thought the studios must be next to each other. They're not. But I I contact the assistant. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in LA. Would it be okay if I stopped by Jane the Virgin and saw the set? And this assistant had quit. Justin Baldoni himself was reading his assistant's emails. And he just happened to be reading his emails when mine came in. He personally wrote me back and said, we would love to have you. And had his assistant set it all up for me. And I spent the day on Jane the Virgin set in the last season, got to meet him, the other star, Gina Rodriguez. Um, but because I asked, and they could very well have ignored me and said no, but I got to have this incredible experience that I've put in the books, you know, that has fueled my creativity and my, my job because I asked for it. So that's the thing I, else I would tell people who are pursuing their dreams, ask for stuff because you never know what's going to happen. That's the thing, you know, in our internal dialogue tries to talk us out of things so often. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's too far out of my reach, or that'll never happen, so why even do it? Or they don't even care who I am. You know, we come up with all these excuses in our head. But really, like, why not? Yeah. Like, re- like literally, what do you have to lose? Right. <laughs> you know, sending an email, sending a tweet. If you feel drawn to something, it's because something is there. And yeah. even if that particular situation doesn't come full circle. Something else will, you know, something in its path will. So I love that story. Yeah. I just think for me, imposter syndrome is Mm. really strong. Like I feel like half the time I'm writing a book, I'm like, at some point they're going to figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, that I am making this all up and I don't really know what I'm doing because I have friends who are like, you write this on this page and then this thing happens in act one. I don't know. I just sit down and write a book. I, I don't know where anything is or why it happens. Like after I've written, I can tell you, oh yeah, I was doing this for this reason. But while I'm doing it, I have no idea. So I always feel like I have this fear of being found out that my, my, one day my editor and agent are going to wake up and go, oh, you know what? <laughs> You're not very good. And this is awful. And, you know, and it's such a dumb thing to have. And I almost think it's more prevalent in women that men don't seem to have the same problem that we do, where we will fall into that imposter syndrome trap where we just think we're not good enough and, you know, we should stop what we're doing. and it's a slippery slope and it's hard and it it can take you away from the things that you love because you just think you're not good enough. And it's ridiculous that we feel that way. Yeah. You know, I couldn't agree with you more because again, it's that internal dialogue of, well, I need, you know, this one more certification or after I do this one more thing, or, you know, I need to, I need to learn more of this or, you know, whatever. 
whatever right. it is that you're saying that you need more of to actually be the thing that you are. Whereas right. really like you are everything that you need to be right now in this moment today. And here's the thing that I'll tell you that I've learned from writing. I think before I became an author, I really thought that stuff was just objectively good, that everybody liked it. But if you feel that way, go into Amazon, look up authors like Jane Austen and JK Rowling and look at their reviews. And there are people who eviscerate them, who hate Pride and Prejudice, the loathing of a thousand burning suns, you know, um, <laughs> which I don't, I don't get. Like, it's not me. And that's the thing about art. And especially when you're taking something that's your art and your hobby is that you think maybe it doesn't appeal to, it's never going to appeal to 100%. That's never going to happen. But even if it appeals to 20% of people, and those people are paying you for it, that you can still make a good living doing that. It's just finding your tribe and finding the people who love what you do. That's the hard part is finding those people out. Because, you know, one of the things I did is I, I write what's called sweet romance, that there's no sex in the book and nothing happens. I know I get lots of reviews that are, oh, this is so juvenile and it's meant for 12-year-olds and, you know, where's the, the steam? And that's fine. You know, and the people don't like my books, that's fine. And at the same time, I get reviews for like, I normally like much steamier books, but I didn't even miss it in this one. It was well-written. You know, I enjoyed it. So I'm looking for the people who want to read what I'm writing, you know, and that's where I'm going to find my niche and my career. And so often I just think we, we want to please everybody. And if one person says, well, I don't like that. So what? So that is one person's opinion, you know, move on past that and keep doing what you're doing and find your tribe. Yeah. I, I often remind myself and, and the people around me that, you know, there's like billions of people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. One, one person or one group of people that, you know, have a, have a shady feeling about you or whatever it is that you do. Like, if you really just step out of it and look at the perspective, it's like, okay, there are so many more people on the planet. It's going to be all right. And the more that you, the more that you dilute what you do. So imagine if you as an author read every single one of those reviews and you're like, oh, well, maybe I should do this. Well, maybe I should do that. You're going to be so far off of your path. You're just going to be what you think that everyone else wants you to be. Yes. And not what you are. Yeah. And that is a problem, especially with writing, because writing is, we talk a lot about voice. What is your voice? And you have to find that thing that makes your writing unique and makes it you. And that's something I actually learned very on early on in my career is one of the things I really push on you is, oh, you should have beta readers and you should have people who are telling you what they think about your book. And so I did that. And, you know, I would send out to 10 people and 10 different people would tell me 10 different things. And I was like, well, who am I supposed to listen to then? You know, like whose opinion is more valid? Who, who has the right thing here? Because one guy is like, one girl was like, oh, your hero, hero is too masculine. One's like, oh, he's not masculine enough. You know, and it's like contradictory things. So it makes it difficult into knowing what voice you're supposed to listen to. And so I decided I'm going to listen to my voice. I'm going to send this into the professional editors. I'll listen to their voice because they're who I trust, they're who I'm making this product with. But I think when you start letting everybody else in with their opinions, like it just alters what you're doing in the first place. And you're writing to please other people instead of writing what's true to yourself. I think that applies to any art. Yeah, absolutely. And nothing will kill your passion quicker than right. that. You know, that, that dilution process, sometimes it happens kind of sneakily, you know, sneakily, I don't even know if that's a word. It, it, it happens kind of, you know, like very quietly sometimes. And, and before you realize, you're like, why am I so unhappy? What's going on? Then you realize that, hey, I've absorbed everyone else's energy and I'm trying yeah. to be everything to everyone. And that literally physically does not exist, but we try it's, to do it. Yep. It's true. It's 100% true. I love that you're aligning your passion 
and staying very true to that. And that magnifies and magnetizes the right people. So tell me a little bit about like staying true to your voice, staying true to who you are and how you have essentially built that tribe that comes to you. It has been a hard road to do that. I I decided very early on, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is how I choose to write romance. And when I very first started out, I belonged to, you know, Romance Writers Association. It's a huge national organization. And we had a chapter in Ohio, which is where I was living at the time. And I had met several people who were in the same stage of their career. One of the girls had just written a historical romance and she was Christian and didn't want to put any steamy scenes in as well. And they told her, you have to put one. There is no option. You have to put one. And she did because she wanted to be published. And I kind of like, well, that's going to be an issue for me, right? Like, I, I don't want to have to do that. And I, I don't even know how many years ago that was, but I had lived in fear ever since, to be honest, that someone was going to come along and say, you have to do this. Because I didn't want to. It didn't feel comfortable for me or my beliefs or, you know, what I want to do. And I have been so blessed and so fortunate to be partnered with a publisher who has supported me from day one. I mean, I did have an editor in between. I've had like three or four editors since I've been there. Who's like, well, here, read this book. This book has, it's clean, but it has all these sex scenes in it. And I'm like, well, then it's not, you know, sweet anymore, right? Like you've gone outside the the genre, you know, you're supposed to be defining. But I wasn't ever pushed to do that. And they, they took my work as it was. And then last year when I was getting my contract, my editor contacted my agent and she said, okay, we want it to be young characters. We want it to be funny and no sex on the page. And it was like, the heavens opening going, Oh, you know, like, <laughs> this is exactly what I want. And now they're asking me for it. Now they're saying, this is how we want you to write. And it was, I felt very blessed that I was able to get that confirmation from them. that This is what they want from me. And I can keep writing the way that I want to write. They're, they're fantastic. I, I absolutely cannot say enough good things about Montlake and Amazon. They're just incredible. And now I'm, I think I'm strong enough in my career that I could, that I have the weight to throw around, you know, that if I do go to another New York publisher and they say, well, you have to put, you know, a steamy scene in. I can go, no, I'm not doing that. And if you have a problem with it, we're not working together. Like I can do that now. You know, I'm, I'm in a position where I can do that. And I think part of finding that tribe, what's happened is, I mean, a lot of it's just marketing. I mean, when you see my books, the men are dressed on the cover, <laughs> you know, that's an <laughs> indication that, you know, steamier stuff's not going to happen. Um, the last couple of books have been very light and fluffy in the cover. I mean, it's letting you know this is funny, this is sweet, this is, you know, so marketing and branding is important, I think, in helping to find those people. And honestly, it becomes word of mouth that, you know, you start finding that tribe online. And for me, I have like a, a private readers group on Facebook where I, I, you know, interact a lot. We talk with these women. I, I ask them for names and story ideas. I show them covers first. And I think by you know, working with them that we're kind of all in this together. And it's, it's helped me and that they've gone out and told other people, well, Hey, if you like this kind of romance, you should read this author. Um, so I think you've got to look for them and find them and then, you know, build those relationships. And I think building those relationships is probably one of the hardest things for me because I'm such an introvert, but it is something that I work on. And cause I do, I love these readers and I love their enthusiasm and it makes me like, you, you get these bad reviews and I don't know why the bad reviews like are so much more painful and so much more believable but you get them and it's just like, you want to curl up in a fetal position and eat chocolate. Um, (laughs) You know, these are the women that come in and are like, no, we love you. We love your books. They're amazing. And that kind of really truly helps you to keep going. So I think finding those people is important because they are going to be those cheerleaders for you and help you on that path. Like, no, 
I can write and I, I can write books that people like, and I have evidence that there's people who actually like it. So Yes, yes, you do. You know, I think one of the strongest ways to attract those people is by staying who you are. Yeah. You're like a beacon of light, right? And you attract what you're putting out. So whatever right. whatever light you're shining is ultimately what is what is coming for you. You know, I think a lot of people in in business particularly, you know, feel like, you know, as a business person, you have to put on this persona and like, you have to be like this. And now I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. So I have to act like that. And it's like, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, how does an entrepreneur act? I don't, right. I don't, re- I don't recall where that was written, but it's this like mindset that like, now I have to be someone else. And then what ends up happening is you attract more of those things that you're putting out, even though that's not really who you are, which means now you're not working with people that you love working with. So it, right. it's a quick snowball, but in the other direction, when you stay true to yourself and you're just like, you know, this is how I dress and this is how I talk and this is how I act and like, this is how I do business. People will love you. Whatever that looks like, people will love you. Yeah, and you're right. And I think part of the problem that's hard as an author with the artistic side of it is I want to do other things. Like my brand is romantic comedy, contemporary, sweet, romantic comedy, right? That's what I'm known for. But of course your creative mind's like, oh, I'd love to write a YA fantasy. I'd love to write this. I'd love to write that. And I really have held back because I think there's going to be readers who love it, but they have an expectation of me. And I think sometimes branching out is good, but I think coming back to what you said, that you also need to look at what product am I putting out? What is the marketplace responding to? And if I start putting out something entirely different, are they going to feel betrayed? Are they going to feel like, this is not what I want from you. And, you know, so it's like, it's a fine, fine line to walk. I think trying to please everybody and please yourself too. Oh my. So this kind of reminds me of, you know, we all have the, our, our music artists that were like, you know, these are our people. And we all know that there's that like one album that they've got a little, (laughs) a little astray and like put out something that was like completely not their style. And you're like, what the hell, what the hell guys? Like, I don't even know who you are anymore. That's just kind of what that reminded me of. Well, and it's true, right? But they're being artists. They're expanding themselves and their vision. But as consumers, we're like, what are you doing? Stop it. Go back. You know? So you do, I think when you're running, especially, you know, an artistic or hobby-based kind of business that you have to keep that in mind, that you have to be thinking about that, that you don't want to put out, you know, somebody's worst album ever, you know? Right. Exactly. You know, this also kind of reminds me, I was just watching, I don't know if you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, Mm -hmm. He's real popular like motivational speaker entrepreneur he's very i mean he's pretty black and white very vulgar very like blunt and to the point and i was watching um a little clip that he put up on social media the other day and he turned down a six-figure speaking gig because they told him that he couldn't cuss now gary is like an avid cusser like every other word it's just like it's flower language. It's just part of his vocabulary. And he's like, no, that's just not who I am. You're asking me to be someone that I'm not. And I just thought that that was really powerful and kind of goes along with what we're talking about today is really just staying true to who you are matters. It really, really matters across all the boards. And think about how hard that would have been to walk away from that. That is so much money. That's like all- that would change people's lives, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and that, that, has got to take an enormous amount of integrity. And I'm I'm very impressed that he would do that. You know, and that's one of the things that I've often discussed with my husband is if I would write steamier books, I would make a lot more money. That's just the bottom line. I would appeal to a larger audience, but it's not true to who I am. So I don't do it. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm I'm in that position too, where I'm 
you know, no one's offered me the money, but I'm, I know that I could be more successful, but I'm keeping to what I think is correct for me. This is kind of a, a side question, but did you find yourself getting pulled more towards that? Like, you know, there was the whole Fifty Shades movement, right? Like that was a whole thing in the in the world, in the industry. Did you find yourself when that was so popular saying, you know what, well, maybe I should, maybe I should go over that direction? I didn't. It's funny because Fifty Shades was a response to Twilight. It was based on Twilight fiction, which was very sweet as well, right? And so it was kind of like, well, there was no smut in Twilight, so I'm going to add it all in. And so that's what, that's where Fifty Shades came from. And she had to change the characters' names when it went, you know, public and got published, but that's where it originated from. But I think the problem, and this is something you talk about on your podcast too, is in chasing trends that you see so many artists do that, that, oh, Fifty Shades of Grey is huge. So I'm going to write real erotic books. Well, what if you're not good at it? What if it's not your forte? What, I mean, if, if it is, and that's what you want to do, great, fantastic, go for it. But what if it's not? You know, and then you put yourself in a position where you're writing mediocre books because you're chasing a trend. And I, I see that a lot. Like right now, like cowboys are big. Like a, a little while ago, it was billionaires. <laughs> Everybody's writing billionaire romances. And now it's cowboys. And so I see everybody were putting out cowboy romances. And it's just cyclical. Like when Twilight was out, it was all vampires. Like you couldn't walk into a bookstore without it being 600 vampire books, right? Right. So the problem is when you chase these trends and the way that publishing, the traditional publishing works, it's much different in indie because in an indie world, you can write a book and publish it the next day, right? It's easier to chase trends that way. But when you're working with a publisher, you're talking about from the time they accept your book until it's published, it can be one to two years. So if you wrote a book that was chasing a trend, by the time it gets published, that trend's over. Like you have really shot yourself in the foot, you know, like it doesn't exist anymore. So I would recommend that people go out and find what's the thing that I like. And even if something else gets huge, even if something else is like, or like dystopian, like Hunger Games. Remember when that was a big thing? Yeah. Everybody was writing dystopian fiction, you know, and I actually love dystopian fiction, but everybody was writing it and it just gets, it oversaturates the market. It truly does when you're chasing those trends. And so I think when you have a vision of this is what I write, this is my voice, this is what I'm good at. And you stay true to that. It doesn't matter what the trends are that your audience will keep finding you and they will keep following you and you will keep growing regardless of what else is happening and publishing. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just got me kind of thinking like, you know, your own style is timeless. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not going to go out of style. That's not, you know, going to peak and fall. It's like, this is just who you are. Yep. And that's that's amazing. Like, it's okay to be who you are. Yes, and, and we forget that. We do forget that, absolutely. I would imagine that there are some people thinking, wondering right now, like, okay, so I love to write or I love to create or some sort of artistic form of expression. Where do you even start? Like, what are some of the first things that you, that you did? What are some recommendations that you could give to maybe some aspiring creatives? Well, you know, obviously my stuff's going to be all geared towards writing because that's what I do. But uh, uh, for me, it was reading. And I think anybody who says, oh, I don't have time to read, but wants to be a writer, no. <laughs> like you can't do one without the other. You have to read and you have to understand how story works, how plots work, how, because there's so much that goes into it. And I, I think you need to get some of these books that are teaching you how to write. Because I thought I read my whole life, right? I'm like, I know how to write a book. And then I read a bunch of how-to books. Like, how do you write fiction? And I was like, oh, I don't know stuff. You know, like there's all these things I never knew that I just hadn't paid attention to that are important that, you know, I, I took into my, in my writing, like not changing points of view in one scene, like changing it from the hero to the heroine. It's very confusing to a reader. And I didn't realize that, but someone had to point it out. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that. 
So I think reading how-to books for whatever field that you want to get into, maybe following, especially if you're doing more like artistic type things, following people who are already successful, like maybe watching their stories and what they're doing like on Instagram and stuff. But I think with writing is you have to read, you have to learn what you're doing. If you can join a writer's organization, I think that's really helpful. I, I did that and I, I found it to be really helpful to me. And then writing is just writing. Like it's just putting in the hours, you know, and I'm sure that's true of any kind of artistic based career that it's just the practice and the doing it over and over again and hopefully getting better. <laughs> hopefully you're not getting worse as time goes on, but that you're, you just keep improving your craft by doing it. And we forget that part that, you know, it's the, the day-to-day coming into your studio, sitting down to paint, that's going to make you be successful, you know, sitting down in front of your computer and writing a book and writing it and writing it. Um, and then with publishing specifically, you have to look at what is it you want going forward. If you think you've got it, if you think you can write a book, you let your mom read it and she told you it was great, whatever, you know, you decided that you can do this. You have to decide if you want to be traditionally published or if you want to be independently published. And then you'd have to research those two different, they're very different tracks and kind of go from there and say, what do I want to do? Because there are so many blogs and things online that will tell you step-by-step exactly how to do it. And then as you get more advanced in your career, you learn more advanced things like if you're publishing independently, you really cannot exist in the marketplace unless you're doing advertising on Facebook and on Amazon. So you have to learn how to do that. And there's people who will teach you that. So that's why I think belonging to a writer's organization is great because they will show you what you don't know. Cause you don't know what you don't know. Right. It's so true. people will tell you, this is how you get to the next level. This is where, this is what comes next. And I think that is really beneficial. So I think joining a professional organization, no matter what artistic field you're in, will be very helpful to building this into something else. And so many people out there will guide you and help you. Like there's, like I said, there's so many blogs and videos and all kinds of things out there for whatever field you're in that will say, this is how you start and this is how you go from there. So that's where I would go looking. This is really great advice because I think that it's very applicable in really any industry. So with, with every industry, there are either professional organizations or groups or mentors People that are, you know, just a couple of steps or maybe even a few leaps ahead of where you are, but they have walked that walk right. and they, they know and they can guide you. And, you know, asking for help is essential. I think that yes. we, we look down on that so often. It's like, well, I should just know. Well, guess what? Sarai didn't come out of the womb knowing how That's to right. publish a book. <laughs> you have to really like learn and absorb these things. And, and a lot of it's self-taught. But a lot of it's the guidance from the people around you. You know, the, that, that tribe that you mentioned, even just like that support team is priceless, honestly. Yeah. We absolutely have to, to lean on, on others to guide us along our journey. Was there ever a sticking point along the way that you were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. Or were you always just kind of full steam ahead? Oh, no. Uh, there's been lots of times, like I said, when I was first published and I wasn't making very much money and it was like, why am I spending so many hours doing this for so little return? You know, that I, I have lots of friends who are like, I would write even if nobody read my book. And I'm like, you know, that's great. <laughs> As artists, we are writing to be consumed. We are writing to have people respond to our art. People are not creating art in a vacuum. They're not. You, when a sculpture is made by a you know, sculptor, they want you to see it. They want it to be in a museum. They want it to be in an art gallery. They want it, someone to buy it and put it in their home, right? 
And I think that we forget that part of it. So I think for me in the beginning, it was like, there was just so little money that I'm like, what is the point? You know? And and like I said, I had those two kids. It was very easy just to focus on them and kind of forget the writing thing. And, and the itch came back to do it again. And there was a whole new market that hadn't existed before. So that made it a much more exciting prospect. But even then, like I said, I got in that market and nobody was reading my book. Like I remember like one month I sold seven copies of that book. And it's a good book. Like it's, it's a fun book. People love it. It's got great reviews on Amazon. It's called The Ugly Sister Strikes Back. It's a YA novel. And people love that book. And nobody was reading it. <laughs> and that's very difficult. And so I think getting through that, there's lots of times. And I think even recently, my husband, like, I don't know, a few weeks ago was like, you should just quit. You have enough books out. Like you'll get enough, you know, royalties from that, that you've got a nice little income because I stress myself out. I stress everybody else out because I'm trying to hit these contracts and these deadlines. You know, that's how he's supported. Like, well, you should just stop doing it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop doing it. I'm just very competitive, <laughs> you know, and I want to keep doing better and better than I have. And if I wasn't such a competitive person, this would all probably be very different. But I am so competitive with myself that it's not good enough. And I want to keep doing better. And I want to keep hitting that next step and that next thing. And, um, and I don't know if I'll ever be in a place where I'm like, all right, this is it. I've made it. I'm good. I don't need to put it forth any more effort, you know, and I don't know that I'll ever feel that way, which is probably a good thing in trying to succeed, you know, in, in marketplaces, wanting to keep doing better than you have. But there's so many times where it just feels like, let's just throw in the towel and reminding myself, why am I doing this? What's important for me? And I, I will tell you that and I share this a lot. People are like, you know, why do you write? And part of the reason that I do it, um, when I was in high school, I had a sister who was special needs. I was 17. She died from a seizure. And obviously that was really devastating to my family, especially my mom. And I remember at the time she just wanted to watch movies and read books. And I asked her, why, why are you doing this? And she's like, because for a couple hours, I get to forget. I get wow. to forget all the pain and the hardship that is my life right now. And that really has stuck with me. And if someone asks me, why do you write? That is why I write, especially now with the state the world's in, like, come read my novel. It's fun. You're going to forget your problems. You're going to have a good time. It's sweet. You're going to walk away with a smile on your face. Like one of my favorite reviews I ever got was from this from roommate. And there's a woman who came in and she said, my mom is going through chemo right now. And this is the only thing getting me through it. Thank you. Wow. And I'm like, that is so powerful to know that you can have that kind of effect on people through your art. And it's part of why I do what I do. And it's why I don't give up because I know that I am making people happy. I know that I'm giving them something that makes their lives better. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Oh, gosh, I have absolute chills right now. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those beautiful stories. Oh, you know, yeah. that's like, it. you know, I think it's really important in the hustle and bustle of everything just is to check back to your why is to yeah. get back to like your roots sometimes because it gets, it gets crazy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Running a business, being a creative, like doing your thing, working your magic. It's, um, you know, it's not always puppy dogs and rainbows. So no. um, I love that story because it just checks back and it puts like the humanization back into the why of, of why you're doing it in the first place. I also love that you mentioned that there was a point in time where like nobody was even buying it. Yeah. So what were some things that you did to overcome that or like did something all of a sudden click or did you like, you know, spend a bajillion dollars on Facebook ads or like, you know, I think people are always wondering like, I have this amazing thing, but nobody's buying it. So what I did was I'm like, all right, this isn't working. And this is before people really knew about ads. So, I mean, maybe Mark Dawson was off doing it somewhere in secret in England. I don't know, (laughs) but um, you know, this nobody was doing it. So there wasn't really a way to get found. And like Joe Conrath was an author I was following at the time, who's a big proponent of the indie movement. He's done amazingly well with it. 
And he said, you know, cream will always rise to the top. And I'm like, well, that's not true. You know, like you can write a good book and not get found because there's so much competition. You know, what do you do? And so the thing that I did was, I can't remember her name now, but there was an author who had a huge rush of success, an indie author. And what she had done was she put out five books the same day. And then a month later, put out another book. And it, wow. she just exploded in the marketplace. I mean, she waited, obviously. Like she wrote the five books and waited till they were all done. Got everything all lined up and then put out all these books. So people found them and then they went and bought the other books. And I'm like, well, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should write a bunch of books and, and follow her method of what she had done to be successful. Because I, I thought that's what you can do, right? What's working for other people? And when you belong to these organizations and you belong to these message boards, you can see what's working. You can see who's being successful. And you can say, how can I put this in my own life? What can I do to you know, make this work for me. And so that had worked for her. So I thought, well, maybe I should try that. So I wrote my first book. It's called Royal Date. And the day I finished was the day that Kindle Scout program was announced. And I'm like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. So that's completely shifted what I was going to do and how, you know, I ended up not doing what she did because I put that book into the Kindle Scout program and it won and it led me to the success of my career. But I think you have to be paying attention because you don't know what's going to work and what's not. I mean, her method didn't work for me. I never got to implement it. Maybe it would have. I don't know. But because I was open to what else was out there and looking for possibilities and looking for ways to be successful, that when something fell in my lap like that, I saw it for what it was. And I wasn't one of the naysayers who were like, well, this is just ridiculous. And who would do this? And I, I cannot tell you how many people were so down on it. And like, it's like holding this someone has a bar of gold. You're like, it's a bar of gold. Don't you see that? And everybody's like, no, no, it's not. It's butter. And I'm like, no, no, it's gold. It was a weird place to be in. But I think having yourself be open and knowing what your goals are and looking towards that. And then when opportunities arise that you could take advantage of it, even if everybody else is telling you it's bad, even if everyone else is telling you it's ridiculous and you're going to fail. I didn't fail. It led to all my success. If I hadn't done it, I don't know where I would be. I'd probably still be trying to figure out ads on Amazon or, you know, whatever, and figuring out what would work for me. But I think you just have to keep learning and growing and being aware of what's out there and paying attention to what other people in your field are doing. Because I, especially in writing and especially in romance, writers are so generous. They are so kind. And people are not, because writing, and a lot of this probably applies to a lot of other industries. I mean, it's like when you buy a car, if you buy a Toyota, you bought a Toyota, right? You're not going to go buy a Ford too. Like you have your car. But with books, it's not a zero sum game. Nobody buys one book and goes, this was my book for the year. I read my book, you know, it's roommate. That's it. We don't need any more books. You know, most readers, especially avid readers, they're reading five or six books a week. And obviously as an author, I cannot fulfill that need. You know, like I, I could never make enough books, make people happy. So I think by helping other writers, encouraging them, it, you know, uh, the rising tide, lifts all the ships, you know, sort of thing. Yep. So that when one person's doing well, we lift everybody else up with us because it's not zero sum. And just because someone's buying my books does not mean they're not going to buy your books. Of course they will. If they like, you know, what I'm doing, they like what you're doing. So I think it's an extremely generous field and people are very open and they're very helpful and they're very much like, this is what's working for me. This isn't what's working for me. And you can take that information and apply it to your own, your own business. You know, you, you said something there as well. And it- I love this concept that like your success does not take away from mine. Right. And, you know, cause I think sometimes when you're in your own industry and you're in your own field and you start really like putting all your watch, you know, all, all your watches on, like 
what everyone else is doing, it's easy to be like, oh shit, they're winning. That means, yeah. I, that means I suck. Or right. um, they just landed this huge thing. Oh my gosh, that means I'm so far behind. And it's like, no, actually everyone's in their lane. Like doing their, there's, there is plentiful. Like the world is abundant in so many aspects. Um, so when another author is winning, great. That means, yes. that, the, that, means that, the, that the industry is doing well, right? Yeah. Like, and the, that means the, that there's a need for it. And the possibility is there for you. And I, I've seen so much professional jealousy from people where they get so upset that somebody else has achieved something. I'm like, if they've achieved it, so can I. Like, I have a friend, we have a, an agent in common. Her name is JC Lee, and she writes Own Voices, which is, you know, people of color writing their stories. And so she's Korean, and she writes these beautiful Korean romances. And she just put out her most recent book. And Daniel Day Kim from Lost and Hawaii Five-0 has optioned her book, and he's going to star in it as the hero. So there was a second where I was like, oh my gosh, that is, I wish that could happen to me. But then it was like 99% thrilled for JC. I am so excited for her. Like, that is incredible. And she is so thrilled. Like, I'm so thrilled for her. That's a possibility for me too. My agent got that deal. You know, like, she can get me that deal too. Who knows how long it's going to take. But the the possibility is there. So I am so excited for my fellow authors when they succeed. And I think that's... And I think you almost... Like you said, you limit yourself or bind yourself when you say... When you get that jealous and you get upset with people, I think it affects you like karma wise, you know, that it just does something to your brain. Like, I just think you have to be happy for other people and celebrate their successes because someday it's going to be you and you have to believe that. Yeah. And you know, you flip the table around. It's like, how do how would you want other people to feel about you? Do you want them yeah. like celebrating with you or do you want them all standing in the corner pointing and talking about you? You know, like right. think about that energy exchange again, like energy yeah. out is energy in. And I think it's also a good reminder that like everyone's on a different part of their timeline. We're not living in a linear world here. Like we're not all like, yes, we're all existing, coexisting in the same space of time, but everyone's in a different part of their journey. So it's impossible to compare yourself apples to apples to anyone else ever. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I would love to spend the last couple of minutes of our time together talking about one of your specialties, and that's love. Yes. <laughs> that's your thing, girl. It is. My so thing. you are living your happily ever after. I do. I have a fantastic husband. I adore him. I would love to learn just a little bit more about your love story. Oh, gosh. My love story is like a soap opera telenovela. Like it's not even real life what happened to us. Um, I mean, we met, uh, he was going to serve a mission for our church and I worked in the training center and I was in the cafeteria and I was friends with a girl that he was friends with. And so we just started talking and we wrote, it was very Jane Austen of us. We wrote while he was on his mission. So we have these couple years of letters. And then when he came home, his, his home was in my college home where I lived, where I was going to college. So, I mean, just the coincidence of that, you know, it was just kind of cool. And so I was able to look him up and I went to his house and they were throwing him a surprise welcome home party and they invited me to come. And I mean, I didn't know his friends. I didn't know his family. And I stayed because I wanted to see him. He had no idea who I was. And he said he didn't know who I was because he was <laughs> so bad with faces and names, like seriously bad. He didn't know who I was till I'd driven away. And so he calls me up. I left my number and he calls me up and he asked me out and we ended up I not working out and I wasn't playing hard to get, but it's kind of what happened. And then, uh, he ended up calling me and asking me, we set up the date. And then the night before the date, we talked on the phone and we were up all night. And at that point I was kind of like, not interested. I'm like, yeah, we'll go out. Like I kind of owe him that. But then after that phone call, I was like, Oh, Hey, wait a second. You know, 
I think I like this guy. Like there's something more here. So we watched a movie on our first date and we started dating, but his family did not think I was good enough for him and actively tried to <laughs> prevent us from being together. There were offers of bribes to both of us and oh they're, very, they're very wealthy. Like when I first met him, he took me on a tour of his house. He has a drinking fountain in the hallway outside his bedroom. Okay. And I said, <laughs> you have a drinking fountain outside your bedroom. He's like, yeah. I'm like, why? He's like, what if you get thirsty in the middle of the night? I'm like, go into the bathroom like a regular person. Like, this is not you, normal. You, you know, drink, you, dr- you turn your head and you drink under the spigot. That's what you do. Right. Right. <laughs> and so he just, yeah, he had very, we had very different upbringings, but yeah, I mean, and we, we broke up several times because he was the family's golden boy and he did what he was told, you know, and it was very hard for him to be in love with me and being told you shouldn't be with her. Um, but you know, obviously we worked it out and we're here and, it was, it was a hard thing. I thought, and I think it's one of the reasons why love stories are so important to me because it was so important in my life and I had to fight for it. You know, it didn't just go easily and we went along and it was fine. I mean, that would be great, but it honestly, it was, it was a struggle and it was hard and we had to overcome a lot to be together and we did. And it made us stronger as a couple. We had to walk through fire together and I would do anything for him. And I know he would do the same for me and it led to a really strong foundation for our family. Wow. You know, that's, I can, I can hear the the book just coming out of you. (laughs) See, I'm always fascinated by the why and the backstory because everything leads to something, you know, like even when you're in those tough situations and you're, you're wondering like, how are we ever going to do this? How are we going to overcome this? You know, there's, if you look at it from the sense that like, I, what am I learning right now? What opportunity yeah. do I have to learn right now? And if you can, if you can ride that and stay true to that, I mean, look at where, look at where it has led you. Now you are, you know, a number one best-selling author writing about love, which is something yeah. that you had to fight terribly for. Yes. <laughs> and you're, you're so right that it's, it made me see how important it is. And, you know, it's so funny because we dismiss romance, right? We dismiss love as it's unimportant or it's silly. And part of that is because they are stories for women by women. These are the things that matter to us. And so it's dismissed as not being enough. And I'm like, and people are like, oh, they're formulaic. I'm like, because Westerns aren't, mysteries aren't, thrillers aren't, you know, all of them are formulaic. That's why they're genre, right? They're formulas for a reason. It's We expect a certain outcome. And it actually leads to stress relief because we know it's going to be okay in the end, that even if things are bad, it'll all work out in the end you know, people just dismiss it and look at it as being silly. And I, there's so much more to it and it, it gives so much joy and stress relief and everything else to people that we can't just dismiss it and say, it doesn't matter because I think it does. It absolutely does. What would you say that you've learned the, the most about love? Like what love advice would you give our listeners today? Oh gosh. <laughs> like I'm probably the worst person to do that. I don't know. Um, what matters most to both of you? What's most important? And we talk about like love languages and stuff, the way that you feel loved. I do think that's important that when you know what it is for your spouse, your partner, that you can provide that for them. And if it feels unnatural to you, like my husband is super touchy feely and I am not that person. Like I don't hug people, you know, and, <laughs> but for him, I am because I know how that makes him feel loved to be hugged and to hold hands and things like that. So I think that's important. And I think communication is just the number one thing in trust. You've got to have those things. And we talk about that and it seems so easy and it's not, marriage is not easy. You know, it's, it's a hard thing. And, but I think we do it because the benefits are so great for us. I mean, not all the time, obviously, but you know, when it works, it works really well. 
So awesome. I'm also curious what gutsy means to you. I think to me, it means going for something, even when everybody else is telling you no, even when else is telling you this isn't going to happen, you're not going to make it. It's believing that you can do it. And maybe even where you end up is not where you hoped, but making the attempt is going to change your life. And I think going for it, it's going to change everything that you have around you and, and make you a stronger and better person. Yes, 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 yes. Well, Soraya, this has been just a, an amazing conversation. I think so many nuggets of wisdom and, you know, just like real tangible, like life lessons, <laughs> you know, just, you know, it's a, it was a great reminder that like you can do hard things and, and be with the people that you're around and also just be you. Everyone yeah. else, everyone else is taken. That's right. What is the best way that we can stay in touch with you? How can our listeners find you? Oh, um, I have my website. It's www.sariahwilson, S-A-R-I-A-H-W-I-L-S-O-N.com. You can sign up for my newsletter there. I'm on Twitter as at Soraya Wilson. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You'll have to look me up. I think it's Soraya Wilson author on Facebook. But yeah, come talk to me. I'm, I love talking to people. Online, not in real life, but online. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you again so much for spending your time with us today. And um, guys, be sure to check out the show notes. Soraya, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Join me this Thursday as you get to take your power back by supporting someone who's winning. Yes, remember energy out is energy in. So we are going to focus on reaching out purposefully, intentionally on those that are winning in your life. In the meantime, head over to lauraora.com to learn about brand reviews, sign up for a power back session or the newly launched brand starter program. Join me on social at that Laura Aura. And as always, until I see you next time, stay gutsy.